Hello, hello. Today, I have the honor of talking to Dr. Stacy Perryman-Clark. She is an editor and contributor to Black Perspectives, the book I'm exploring through this podcast. Today, we're just going to talk about her work, what inspired this book, we touch on the Black student success model, and in general, what state writing program administration is in today. A quote from the first chapter of the book, a chapter called Black Matters by Stacey Perryman-Clark and Dr. Colin Lamont-Craig, summarizes what we will discuss today. So I'll go ahead and read that. We begin our call by responding to Stacy's call to her colleagues that we go all the way back to Africa. For us, Africa is a metaphor for locating the root of Black thought in U.S. writing programs, one that enables us to thoroughly explore an evaluation of racism, microaggressions, and success in 21st century higher education. You're listening to The Center. Well, um, yeah, I guess we could go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for being here today. Sure. Um, so today we have a very special guest joining us. Her name is Dr. Stacey Perriman-Clark. She's the editor and contributor to the work that inspired this podcast. Um, so could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, yeah, I'm Stacey Perriman-Clark. As you just said, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, my students call me Dr. PC. Um, SPC was kind of the nickname I got in grad school because we had two Stacys in our cohort. Both of our last names started with P and actually one of them is at NC State. So Stacy Pig and then there was me. So I just started kind of going by SPC. So um, yeah, we were kind of, you know, double trouble. <laughs> no. but, um, so um, my background, I did my undergrad in creative writing and literature from at University of Michigan. Yes. Uh, I um, have a master's in English written communications with a um, concentration teaching of writing, which is how my whole like career in rec comp got started. Um, that's from Eastern Michigan University. And then I did my PhD in rhetoric and writing at Michigan State University over a decade ago now I'm feeling old it doesn't feel that long but I guess <laughs> um so I have one daughter who's a competitive dancer in 11 oh um, wow That's so she, cool yeah um her name is um Jameson Inez Perryman Clark and um I actually got pregnant with her while I was writing my dissertation Wow. And on the market at Michigan State. So she was technically born in East Lansing and lived there a whole month before we had to move. And I started my job as an assistant professor of English and director first year writing fresh out of grad school with a one year old or no one month old. Gosh, um, that's so, so exciting. Yeah. And I, I, new job, new city new newborn I don't remember my first year on the 10-year <laughs> clock it was all blur and I wasn't sleeping um been married for um 18 and a half years um to my college sweetheart that I met his name's Randall met him at U of M while we were in college um his dorm room was a couple doors down from mine so we were dorm neighbors um oh. 
he so he lived in East Lansing with me. Um, you know, he followed me to grad school for my passion, then followed me here. Um, then he went back to school a few years ago, got his master's in organizational leadership and change. Um, and so now, um, so after I was director first year writing for eight years, I did a couple years as the associate director for our teaching learning center, which is called our office of faculty development. And from there, I did a year as um, the associate dean and then kind of acting dean, which because um, our dean was out in Lee Honors mm -hmm. College. And then I um, left there to pursue um, full professor and to um, pursue other leadership opportunities because that just was not the right fit for me. Um, I thought I would be a faculty member for a while, a few years, and just work on my research and scholarship. And then no, um, the provost um, came to me and asked if I'd be interested in, um, it's a department chair, but we call it director because it's an institute, okay. uh, a newer unit, which is the Institute for Intercultural and Anthropological Studies that houses our African American and African Studies program in anthropology. And we're trying to look to expand that and really um, beef up the intercultural components. Um, so I now am doing, I've been doing that since January. So I'm oh. kind of been like a, an administrator, a good chunk of my time here. Awesome. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yes, thank you for sharing. I was um, looking through the website and I saw, when I saw the creative writing, I was so excited because I also studied that for my undergraduate degree and I'm studying English for my master's degree. And I'm like, oh, it's just, you can do so much with different degrees. I think it's really cool. But um, thank you for sharing. Sure. And I can, I guess I can get into some of the um, questions that I have. Yeah. So this novel, Black Perspectives, or this book um, research yeah. was published in 2019. So it was a pre-COVID and pre-2020 world. And I was kind of yeah. wondering, what state do you think WPA work is in across the country now? Um, yeah, so uh, there are a couple directions we could take this. One um, is thinking pre-COVID and uh, uh, post-COVID, and the other is thinking, post a George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Because uh, if you look at the introduction, we were, um, Colin and I were writing while in, in this Black Lives Matter moment. Mm -hmm. And now we're still in that moment. Um, yeah. And how do institutions respond to that moment and the COVID-19 crisis at the same time as both kind of events were happening at the same time. Um, and so a lot of that influenced the call that I wrote for proposals for um, um, Forces 2022. And it's, it, it requires us as discipline to really think about who we want to be and also how we survive because a lot of the discourse around COVID-19, Black lives is survival. For me, it's not enough to just survive and have the, it's how, how do we thrive? Mm -hmm. And so part of that, there, there's some recovery work, but my intent is not to stay complacent there, but um, 
in all seriousness and reality, we've got a lot of work to do because um, one of the things um, that I spend a lot of meetings as an administrator in are thinking about enrollment and the shifting de demographics. Um, regional state schools are really suffering right now um, in ways that the flagship publics are not, um, particularly in Michigan, there are fewer 18 year olds mm -hmm. um, who are gra graduating from high school and at regional institutions, that's the bulk of your competition. Um, mm -hmm. So, and even I've seen charts that project all the way through 2030, how, how that's going to decline. Mm -hmm. Now, the decline is a little bit more steeper with students who are white um, mm -hmm. over time. Um, but we're not seeing, at least from la the last couple of years, we're not seeing the same declining numbers with Black and Latinx students and 18-year-olds in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So that means just like our US population is going to be Blacker and Browner, so are, is our college population. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we could get away with saying these kids aren't prepared. And if we can't retain them, our standards are what they are. If we can't retain them, if they're then they're just not cut for college. And then because our because our retention rates are even are still at least at um, state. But I from the data I've seen across the country, um, enrollment and then retention of black men in particular is problematic um, and at, in my college, particularly arts and sciences, we've lost 20% of our black students. Just oh, as far wow. as we teach. one in five. Do you know so, the reason behind that? Like yes, yeah, so, uh, so there's some day, so there's a lot of data that shows a good chunk of it's financial, uh, financial aid, um, but not all of it is. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, significantly academic performance and um, preparation, right? Mm -hmm. So before we could shrug our shoulders, but now we can't because if we don't have students to teach, then we don't have jobs. You yeah. see lots of institutions and in, um, in during COVID having to do retrenchments, layoffs, furloughs, all of those things are real. Mm -hmm. um, and if students aren't registering for your class classes, then what are you getting paid to do? Mm -hmm. And so it's, to me, it's kind of frustrating and sad that we have in order to get people to finally start paying attention to the things Colin and I have been writing about for over a decade that we have to come for people's pockets. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have come to that. And even, even, and even now, it just amazes me. Um, like, for example, at my institution, each academic affairs leader has been charged, and actually it was something I facilitated. Um, it, they've been charged with um, developing a DEI goal for their unit or something that you can accomplish in one year. And a lot of them are looking at um, Dewey, which is D E um, W withdraw incomplete rates 
um, and to look at equity gaps. And still, after seeing the enrollment um, declines and the equity gaps, because we have the data right at our fingertips right now, all I'd have to do is run a simple Cognos report. It would take me less than five minutes mm -hmm. to see that data. And still, some faculty are not taking responsibility, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. saying it's always somebody else's problem. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. So kind of <laughs> what, that's the long way of saying that. Um, in order for us to survive, we, we have to start paying attention to these issues. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why I was really, um, thankful for this book because I was like, this is like really important <laughs> to the time that we're in now. And um, I like what you said earlier, just kind of echoing back to that about us trying to do more than just survive, but we have to thrive. I went for my undergrad, I went to UNC Chapel Hill. And one of the tweets, like after my, some of my class graduated because we were part of the 2020 class, um, all, a bunch of us from black UNC, we were like black students don't like, just go to UNC, we survive UNC. And so it's like a lot of people were very happy to be leaving, but it was just kind of sad because it's like, that's how we were treated there. And just a lot of work was put on the students or other black faculty members. And yeah, it's a lot. So I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that people will pay more attention and just continue to um, really look at the research that's already out there. Cause you said that you and Dr. Colin Lamont Craig have been doing this for a while. I was looking yeah. at them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even before we were doing it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so many folks were already doing it before us. So it's just really amazing to me how you see all these life altering events and you don't think it's something that you have a responsibility to address. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, and, and perhaps that's the white privilege and folks that recognizing that no matter what happens, they have assurance that they'll always um, be okay. Mm -hmm. That's true. But, um, so, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we can go to the next question. So. <laughs> I focus on, I was really interested in the black student success model, trying to find um, different ways to address these issues. And so the model has three principles that can be applied to help WPA work across the country. And so I was kind of wondering what the process was behind the creation of these principles. Yeah, I, I you know, I struggled with that one because <laughs> it, the process was talking. Yeah. Like looking at what we had and looking because I guess what we were looking for, we really wanted to include HBCUs. And so when we were getting the book together, we solicited folks working at them. Um, and so then when we started getting the materials they were submitting, um, including the material that we saw at um, PWIs, we kind of started to see some patterns emerge from that. And so we were like, this is, we can build our own framework, you know, outside of what 
the framework for post-secondary writing was. We're like, we can build our own. And this is what it looks like. And it was just kind of a matter of um, talking. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And so how do you think these principles have um, changed the way you view your own work? Have they changed or it's kind of just like something that you've always just inherently um, incorporated in your work? I think, it, I, I wanna say it's something I've inherently incorporated in my work, um, particularly because um, at the time, I, you know, I was, a, I was still kind of wrapping up as my stint as a WPA. So, um, yeah, so I think at the time, um, it had to be informed by my work as a WPA and the work I was doing in the first year writing program. I would have to definitely say that. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And then how do you think um, these principles have helped the students you interact with? Do you still have a lot of... Oh yeah, continue. Oh, it's it's hard because I I it's been a other than like my brief stint during the COVID year teaching online where I, mm -hmm. it was asynchronous and I didn't um get to know my students as well. It's been a long time since I've taught students. <laughs> but, I was thinking um, that. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, based off of your introduction, I was like, you're probably doing more research and administrative stuff. So I was wondering if there was still some student interaction. Yeah, I mean, not as much as a chair. I think there would be if we had more events. I think in the mm -hmm. cohort world, I think that's probably the thing I miss both uh, uh, most. But yeah, in the COVID world, not as much. Hopefully, more down the down the road for sure as we start holding more things in person. Got it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the next question I have is what current scholarship within the field do you think pairs well with Black perspectives? Um, I was looking at the work cited list and just referencing some of your um, past work that you and Colin have done. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was just wondering if you had anything currently that you think would be useful with this text? Yeah, I think um, definitely, and I re I believe I reviewed it for um, WPA Journal, um, is that um, April Baker Bell's book, Black Linguistic Justice. I, I, when I think when I, uh, not, I can't remember the quote exactly, but I think one of the things I said was that, um, it was the book I wish I, like my first book, Afrocentric Teacher Research, it was the book I wish I'd had the guts to write, but didn't. Yeah. Oh, so definitely that work. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the work that's coming out of dblack.org, that organization um, with Kirsten Scott, um, it's called black.org? D black. It, it's like an organization. D-L, oh no, D-B-L-A-C dot org um, from scholars who have organized that work, Kirsten Scott's work. Um, 
Ces um, Cecilia Shelton, even a lot of folks I'm seeing people do apply that stuff to tech comm, like Cecilia Shelton, uh, Tim um, McCoy, um, Natasha Jones, really, because it, it, it's impressive to me because in some ways they go, they're a little more radical, I guess, um, then uh, they push the envelope a little more than I did, but they're also doing it in a um, subfield that is way more conservative than mine. Like if this stuff can work when in technical writing classes, then nobody has any excuse to show why it can't work in first year writing. So that mm -hmm. that's the kind of work I'm reading more to push my perspective. Mm -hmm. Cut it. Thank you for that. And so the Black Linguistic Justice. Yes. And that book was by who again? April Baker Bell, and that's um, published by Routledge. And then dblack.org. Yeah. Hey, awesome. And um, this is kind of definitely in the same vein of something I asked earlier, but I was wondering where you think the WPA field is currently heading in regards to race, equity, and social justice. Backwards. <laughs> Backwards. Can see I, yeah, yeah, I think with some of the recent events um, around um, Asal and UA's um, resignation from WPA, CWPA, and just not getting the um, revising the learning outcomes in ways that were social justice oriented and not um, being able to get that work done. I think um, is problematic. And I um, don't wanna get into the whole like process and personality thing, but putting on my admin administrator hat, the question for me is if you support the cause of something, personalities aside, how do you get to a yes? So that if we all agree this is a good thing, then the goal is to get to yes. And mm -hmm. so from that, I don't see yes, right? Um, I don't see, cause it's not, so they took the work and it went elsewhere. So it clearly didn't get to yes. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think it's a um, definitely a good starting point that CWA is doing an audit of their organizational practices. But I always am really skeptical anytime someone says they support a cause, what the process prohibits being able to enact it, then yeah. you can, then if you really want something to happen, you can find ways to um, revise your bureaucratic practices that typically mm -hmm. have been designed to hold up white supremacy to make it happen. Yeah, it feels like people are kind of getting the run around and- yep. And so often, and it's very frustrating. Yep. Especially in academia, especially in a lot of the, the meetings I see. Yeah. And could you tell me a bit more about the resignations? What was happening surrounding that? I'm not too familiar. So I don't know all the details, but I know mm -hmm. that if Asala NUA has a blog where he explained what happened mm -hmm. about um, 
and leaving the organization. Why? Because he and a group of um, other scholars of color were, um, I guess, appointed by the Council of Ryan Program Administrators, CWPA, to revise um, the learning out, like the learning outcome statements. So remember, they had the framework for post-secondary writing and a lot of critiques of that work um, not being anti-racist centered. So this group was supposed to address some of that. And um, in the process, it went to the executive board for approval. And I guess the message was, we agree with this, but there are certain procedures that prevent us from voting on it and enacting it. Mm. I understand it. Yeah. OK, that is a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is most of the questions that I have. The last question that I have is just outside of the academy, what are you doing to take care of and honor yourself? Because I oh, know gosh. this is yeah. So, yeah. Um <laughs> definitely um administrative life is grueling. Mm -hmm. I've spent my time as a dean, I've spent my time as associate dean. Um, it was not a fun time. Mm -hmm. And it took a toll on my mental and physical health. Um, so um, just in a lot of ways from the grueling schedule to the racial microaggressions and all kinds of stuff, because um, traditionally it's assumed that black women and black people don't belong in these spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and especially someone as young young at the time, I mean, <laughs> I guess young, I'm still young in the academy, but <laughs> um, be able to, um, you know, kind of elevate her, advance her career um, so quickly. A lot of folks, because a lot of people aren't deans till their 40s or till their even 50s. And I was about 37 at the time. Um, so, I knew that after that experience, I needed to seek mental um, health care mm -hmm. um, and take some time away from the academy. So I did take a little bit of a leave of absence to kind mm -hmm. of heal um, from the experience. And to this day, I still have to take um, certain medications. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty open about that because I don't want mental health to be a stigma. Yeah. Um, so I do that to manage, but I also actively five, six days a week work out okay. every morning, about five o'clock on weekdays, whenever I feel like it <laughs> on the weekends. Um, so I still do those things. I juice, um, um, do a lot of juicing um, to make sure I get um, the ingredients in and it's in a lot of just ridiculous TV watching with my daughter. She's obsessed <laughs> with certain YouTube personalities. Uh -huh. Do you know which one? And Jordan Madden and some folks and oh, Sniper yeah. Wolf. So, <laughs> so we watch a lot, a lot of, so I always watch and I, and I love reality TV, even if it's staged, I just pretend it's real. So like all <laughs> Housewives shows. I love those because it's complete opposite of what I have to handle on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And I laugh a lot. Yes. I think laughter is definitely 
useful. <laughs> and going to therapy, I also um, go to therapy and just kind of, yeah, find myself having to heal from the academy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been in it that long. It's still yeah. Goes, yeah. And it, it's so funny how all these folks think the academy is so liberal and progressive. And I'm like, are you in these meetings? Like, yeah, it's really not. not. <laughs> It's really not. Yeah. In, in many regards, in, in the ways in which it upholds whiteness, it's no different than any other sort of organization. It's mm -hmm. just more flexible and in and, and, and complex in the in the fact that we know how to use language and we're just kind of they're they're a little more astute with turning it on and off. Mm -hmm. But because they're student turning it on and off, I know that when they turn it off and they're blatant, I don't care what people, I'm, I'm not going to get in arguments about with people about intent, mm -hmm. but impact. But I still, I am very, uh, I find the uh, intent suspicious because we are, especially for those of us in English studies, because we're trained on how to use words. Yeah. So it's true. It's definitely true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining. Me. Do you have any questions for me? No, I don't. Um, just tell um Dr. Pig P-I-Double-G I said hi. Tell Chris Anton I said hi. Um and keep doing the work you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. I will for sure tell them. <laughs> Alrighty, have a nice day. You too, bye. Bye. I am super thankful to Dr. Stacy M. Perryman-Clark for taking time out of her day to talk with me about this book. I've learned a lot, I gained a lot of resources, and our conversation just reminded me of how urgent this work is. And to quote Dr. Perryman-Clark, how do we get a yes in response to this work? Because Black scholars have always and are continuing to put in the work to improve higher education, yet some universities aren't willing to enact change. I'm still trying to grapple with that. On a higher note, I like that we got to discuss the importance of honoring your mental health in academia, which is something that tends to get pushed to the sidelines. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you all next week. This week, I referenced chapter one and chapter five of the Black Perspectives and Writing Program Administration book. Um, both of these chapters are written by Stacey M. Perryman-Clark and Colin Lamont-Craig. Thank you.